So um, one of my favorite jobs, the first pastoring gig that I had was pastoring um, tiny little children. I was a children's pastor um, at a pretty multi-ethnic church. And so basically all my kids were black and they were amazing. We got along so well. They used to call me Ninja Mickey, not as a racist slur, but because for VBS, I was actually a ninja, okay? And so they wouldn't call me Pastor Mickey. They would call me Ninja Mickey. And we had, I just love that job because I was so inspired by children. I don't know, have, do you, are you guys children people? I just love being around kids. I'm so inspired. There's so much life. Ian says he hates children and wants, I'm just kidding. But Ian loves children. Um, I feel like it was one of my favorite roles, and one of my favorite things to do with kids is just simply say, hey, take out a blank piece of paper, grab a crayon or a marker, and just start drawing or painting or coloring. And kids, their faces would light up when we start doing those activities, when they have an opportunity to draw and to color and to paint and to create something. And never without fail... Kids, after they draw something or create something, they want to show someone. If you've been around kids that draw, like as soon as they finish, they're looking for mom and dad. They're looking for teacher. They're looking for ninja to show what they've created because they're so proud and so delighted with what they have drawn and what they have cultivated on that piece of paper. And one thing that blows me away about children is that you never have to convince children that they're creative. There's no doubt, almost to a fault in a child's mind, that they are the most creative person in the world. Like, literally, if you ask a five-year-old, they believe that what they drew is the best thing, even if it looks like trash, which mostly it does. But they believe that they are creative. They have this confidence that what they draw and create is actually beautiful in the eyes of themselves and the eyes of who they show it off to. I was in Portland this last week, and uh, we had a a few friends fly in who they have a three-year-old boy, and then we hung out with our other friend that some of you guys know, and they have a three-year-old daughter, and I never forget, as they were sitting at their table, and they're drawing, um, one kid, they got a hole puncher, and they're just punching holes into the piece of paper, like, without fail, as soon as they finished, they would come and bring it to me and be so proud, and I would just be like, wow, that, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, that just looks like a paper with hole in it, and, you know, you put some glue on there, glue stick glue, but hey, that's beautiful, that's amazing. You never have to convince children children that they're creative but something happens as we get older doesn't it I I did the same activity with a group of college students when I was at UC Davis and I sat them in we were an adult discipleship class but one day I just felt like we need to be children and so when they came in we didn't have the normal bible study material we just had blank sheets of papers and markers I just said hey guys just create whatever's on your heart today and you know what happened 10,000 million questions were asked about, okay, what do we have to draw? How many colors can we use? What are the parameters? How do we do this right? And something happens as we get older. All of a sudden, creativity isn't this free expression anymore. Now it's about conforming to what is expected of us, the rules. And I find that one of the greatest challenges that we face in our spiritual lives is learning how to remain childlike while growing up. Childlike, not childish. This is an excuse to be financially irresponsible or emotionally immature. Childishness should die with age, but we should be fighting to preserve childlikeness. This is why when Jesus says, let the children come to me, he wasn't excluding the rest of us adults. He was saying, come like a child. 
whether you're 50 or you're five, come with a childlike heart. Brian Zond, who we've been um, exploring a lot, my, my boy, BZ, um, he says this, the tragedy of growing up is not that we put aside childishness, but that we lose the capacity for childlike wonder. To be childlike is to live in wonder. To be childlike is to be completely unaware of the limitations that we place on ourselves. To be childlike is to be unapologetically bold and creative. To be childlike is to be like the little children that I pastored and hung out with in Portland this week who create so freely and are so excited to show the world what they've made. In other words, you never have to convince a four-year-old to color outside the lines. They just do it. You never have to prod them to draw what they see in their imagination as wild and as great as they may be. There's nothing too big for a kid to dream up, yet somewhere along the way, we lose that childlikeness. We become convinced that only those who are coloring inside of the lines are doing it right. We lose confidence that we can actually materialize what we see in our imaginations. We shrink down our dreams to match the size of our insecurities. And creativity is replaced with conformity. And we submit to insecurity instead of being led and inspired by wonder. And ultimately, we become disconnected from our creative nature. The tragedy, especially in a city like San Francisco, is that most of us have never thought of ourselves as artists. Most of us have never thought of ourselves as creative. In fact, we rarely find anyone that would answer the question, are you creative, with a resounding yes. Some of y'all might be... I'm pretty creative here and there. You know, one time I took a spin class or I took a sculpting class, but few of us with the resounding yes, like a four-year-old, the one that I hung out with, little Max, if I asked, are you creative? She would be like, yes, of course. I'm the most creative person in all of the universe. We don't carry that confidence and that boldness as we get older. And the thing is, we think of artists and creatives, we, we kind of think of them as a rare and elite category of people, a few chosen, oozing with talent and innovation, while the rest of us regular people, our role is simply to enjoy or admire their creativity and their uniqueness. Most of us, we just think our, our job, our role, is to enjoy the really creative people's work instead of being creative ourselves. And so while great art inspires us all, it actually also has a subtle way of diminishing us. We create an unconscious category that separates us from the Andy Warhols, from the Steven Spielbergs, from the Frank Oceans, from the Josephs, right? We we create these categories that there are this few rare and elite artistic, and the rest of us, we're just meant to enjoy what they create. And their creativity becomes proof that we are not creative. Have you ever been in a team with someone or maybe even a memory in your classroom where there's that one kid, right, who's super overachieving, super creative, and you just don't feel like you could compete or create something that's as beautiful or as memorable or as resonant as they created? We lose that childlikeness, but here's what the gospel does. The gospel reminds us that creativity and beauty don't just belong in the hands of the artistic elite, 
The gospel releases creativity and beauty into the hands of the ordinary. God reminds us that creativity should be an everyday experience as common as breathing experienced by every single one of us. And if we look to the very beginning, scripture describes God. In the last series, we talked about how scripture described God as a worker, But in another sense, scripture from the very beginning in Genesis describes God as an artist. The Genesis narrative is all about an artisan God who paints the skies and the oceans and the trees and the flowers, who sculpts the human form, just like Trevor sculpts all these interesting-looking sculptures in the other room. God sculpted humanity and formed our frame with his bare hands. It was an artist in God who poured everything in his, in his imagination onto the canvas of our universe. This is why the psalmist says, before you were even born, I knew you in your mother's womb. We went from God's imagination into a created reality because he was an artisan God. But then the beautiful thing is this, scripture takes it a step further, and it tells us that you and I, we were created in the image of this artist in God. In other words, hear me, church, we were created creative. We were created with unlimited creative potential because we bear the image and likeness of the creative God. Creativity is in our nature. To create is to be human. To create is to fulfill divine intention. To create is to reflect the image of God. And to create is an act of worship. We are created in the likeness of the most creative being in all of the universe. And we are called to reflect that creativity to all of creation. If you think about it, this is amazing. We as believers have unrestricted access to unlimited creativity of God. But the tragedy is too few of us ever tap into it or believe that we have a creative nature of our own. Back when I used to do a lot of hip-hop shows, um, there was one show in particular where I was the opening act. And opening acts, we have it hard, man. Like, we're the ones where people go to the bathroom, they're getting snacks or in the merch line, and then they just kind of roll in, but they're waiting for the main, the main act. And I remember one show, I thought I killed it. I was the opening act for this group, and I thought I, I smashed it, and I finished. And so afterwards, I love, you know, being an Enneagram Type 7 ENFP. I love large crowds and having shallow interactions with as many people as I can. That's just how I'm wired. And I remember after show, I was just going around talking to people, and I was just kind of getting a feel. Hey, what would you think about the show? And people were like, oh, man, you were dope. You were amazing. The opening act was great. The main act was, was amazing, too. And so I'm just walking and talking to people, and I I talked to this one guy, and he must not have recognized me because I took off my jacket from the show, but I was like, hey, what'd you think of the show? He's like, man, I love, I love the main act. I'm such a big fan. You know, I listen to their music all the time, um, but you know, the opening act was whatevs. Their, their music isn't really for me. You know, I'm not really into that kind of music, and I'm not a fan of this guy's work, and he must not have recognized me, but inside, I started dying, and I was like, man, I feel like you're, you're tearing me down right now, even though you're just talking about what I create. And there's this truth that, that we don't realize that when we demean a work of art, 
we actually dishonor and sadden the artist. Yeah, I remember I was at a potluck, and the same thing happened, man. I brought my, my famous Brussels sprouts, okay, and I, I came in, and I put on the table. You know, we all grab our food. We're sitting down. We're eating, and I was like, I'm just eating my Brussels sprouts, eating what everyone else brought, and someone sat next to me. I was like, hey, what do you think about all the food? Like, what do you think about the Brussels sprouts? It's like, I don't really like it. It's kind of bland, and he didn't know I made it, and I was just dying on side. So many of those things happen, but... But whenever we demean something someone created, we actually dishonor and sadden the heart of the maker. Yet every time we diminish ourselves, every time we put ourselves down, every time we tell ourselves that we are not creative, every time we define ourselves by our insecurities and failures and our faults, we are demeaning God's work of art, his masterpiece. You know, as Joseph preached last week, And we're actually dishonoring the maker who created us, the artist and God whose image we bear. And so when we walk around and we say, I'm not very creative, you know, I'm not as talented as the next person. I don't have much beauty to contribute to this world. You're not just putting yourself down. You're actually dishonoring our maker. You are his masterpiece. We were designed to be creative beings. And we see it in Genesis 1, 19 through 20, if you put it up. This is crazy if you think about it, okay? Most of you know the story. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. It's funny to think that Fig had an ancestor in creation. I wonder what he looked like. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now think about this. Man's first task in the garden is to name every single species of animal. I think when we think about the story, we think of a cute VBS lesson or a children's story, like, oh, you know, a lion came in, and a giraffe came in, and then a kitty cat came in, and a monkey came in, and Adam's just naming them. We only, in our imagination, think there was like dozens of animals. No, this was a massive undertaking. We're talking millions of different creatures and species to sort through and name And think about it, how much creativity must it have taken to uniquely name each of the millions of different species of animals in the world? For me, at some point, I would have got bored and said, dog two, dog three, cat 75. But no, uniquely naming each one, how much creativity was humanity endowed with reflecting the nature of creative God from the very beginning? What am I saying? Creativity is a natural or should be a natural result of spirituality. I find it sad that we expect that when you walk with Jesus, that you would, you know, if you walk with him long enough, you would become a more loving person, a more kind person, a more patient person, a more generous person. But how many of you ever thought the longer you walk with Jesus, the more creative we should become? Despite the criticism of the church's lack of creativity in recent decades, we have to remember our roots in the Genesis narrative. Who God is and who we are in him. Creativity is one of the most spiritual, sacred acts that we can do because every creative act is a reflection of our artist in God. Hey, buddy. So what are the implications here? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around someone who is truly engaged in their work? 
investing all of their creative potential to create beauty and goodness in what they did. Maybe you can think of a teacher who went above and beyond the, the curriculum to inspire their students to learn and grow, or a filmmaker who transcended genres and generic film tropes to create something truly captivating and memorable. Maybe you could think of an inventor who thought outside of the box to create an invention or a product that actually enhanced our experience of life. One of my favorite teachers was Mr. Nyquist in seventh grade, and he was a history teacher, and he could have just taught history in the same old boring way, but this 75-year-old man was so invested in bringing history to life, and he would dress up sometimes in the characters that he was teaching about. We would do activities that wasn't part of the normal lesson plan. There was creative potential that he was tapping into, and it made all the difference. And in the same vein... Have you ever been around someone who is totally checked out, investing no creativity or passion into their craft or what they did? You all had that teacher who reduced learning into mundane memorization and meaningless facts and details, an artist who released some uninspired music that was just knockoffs of the generic sound of the moment, or a manager only concerned with the bottom line of profitability who forsakes creativity in their team for the dollar. Creativity makes a huge difference in our world. I hate dentists. Um, Every dentist I've gone to growing up, you know, they're exactly what I described. They hate their job. They're uninspired. And they hate to have these bratty kids come into their room and cry and complain and I remember having so many dentists like that, but you know, one girl that I grew up in youth group with who opened up her own dental practice here in the Marina District, um, she invited me to get a free teeth cleaning. And I remember when I went into that dental office, something was different. I could sense the passion and the creativity that she exuded. When I walked into her office, into the dental room, um, there was large windows from from floor to ceiling that overlooked the marina. And I remember when I laid down, this was the best invention ever. There was a screen on the ceiling that I could watch um, the Great British Bake Off while they were working on my teeth. And then when she was molding new crowns for me, she was showing me the new machine, and she was so excited, so passionate about this new machine and new technology that was creating my new tooth and crown. She exuded creativity and passion, and it made all the difference. Those who make an effort to tap into their creativity bring beauty into the world all around them. Think about your favorite songs, your favorite films, your favorite paintings, your favorite poems and books and buildings and photos. Think about how your soul feels enriched when you throw on that Leon Bridges project or when you walk through the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art or when you watch Lord of the Rings. Think about the beauty that we experience because someone decided to color outside of lines and truly tap into the their creative nature. But here's the thing. We do a great disservice to creativity when we relegate it to these common artistic mediums. 
See, creativity is also necessary in the field of medicine, in business, in education, in food. Think of those working tirelessly to create vaccines for diseases. Think of those who are thinking unconventionally about how to ethically run their businesses without destroying our planet. Think about the chefs at Santong, okay? They have tapped into something that brings people from all over the nation to come and taste God's goodness, See, creativity isn't just necessary in artistic mediums. It's necessary at your tech company. It's necessary at your gym. It's necessary in your own business, but not just in what we do. Creativity is necessary in our relationships, in our community, in our society. Think about that friend that always goes above and beyond to do something thoughtful for you. Think about that partner who surprises their significant other with something they never experienced before in their entire lives. You know, one of my mentors, Pastor Brian, I'm drawn to him, not because of how great he teaches or preaches. The reason why I'm drawn to him is I love witnessing his family life. And I think when I grow up, I don't want to just be good at this. I want to be known for being good there at home with my family, with my kid. And I love he's so creative in creating a family atmosphere. Um, he once re- reshot the scene from Lord of the Rings with Gollum and the Ring. And I think Smeagol killing that other hobbit with his young son. And they refilmed every scene and dialogue with their camera. That's what they did for fun. The wife is actually, Pastor Michelle, she's actually TikTok famous for being um, leader of BTS Army and also being a realtor and a pastor at the same time. And she does dances with their children. It's just so fun to watch that they're going above and beyond. They're tapping into creativity to enhance the beauty of their family and their relationships. Creativity cultivates beauty. And beauty always leads us back to an experience and encounter with our creator. And so when you're creative in your work, in your projects, in your relationships, you are contributing beauty to the world so that it looks more and more like the kingdom of God. But here's a scary thing. Hear me, church. Even if you don't think you're creative, you actually can't escape your creative nature for good or for worse. What do I mean by that? I mean that every day, whether we recognize it or not, we are in the process of creating. The question is, do you know what you are creating? And are you being intentional about what you are creating around you? In other words, the words that we speak, the choices that we make, the actions that we take are creating the world around us every single minute of our lives. And the question is, are we creating goodness and beauty in our lives, or are we creating pain and destruction? This is the responsibility that we bear as creative beings. Have you ever met someone who was unbelievably creative in causing pain and wreaking havoc on the world around them? I knew this guy who was a sushi chef, and he, his, you know, his restaurant in Berkeley was quite famous, um, but he was known specifically for having really... Um, sharp and pithy insults towards his employees and other people that he knew. I mean, I, I heard him, you know, talk to one of his employees one time, and I was equal parts 
really enraged and saddened for the employee, but also a little blown away that, that he could be so creative with his insults at harming and causing pain to someone else. Come on, we all could think of someone who is so unbelievably creative at causing pain and causing harm and destruction. We are always creating because of our creative nature. But are you living life intentionally? Are you being intentional about creating goodness and beauty all around you? We bear the responsibility as image bearers of God to create beauty and goodness in our world. And so what am I saying? Is whether you paint or create music or not, you are all artists. And you are always creating. Are you being intentional about what you are creating? And so this is why I love art, and I believe every believer should immerse themselves in it. And it doesn't mean you have to go to the Museum of Modern Art and walk around and know what everything means. You know, I know some people that don't like that stuff, but I believe in some way we need to interact with art as believers and participate in creating it as well, whether we're good at it or not, because art reminds us of our creative nature. Art returns us to our original design. Theologian Dallas Willard, he says, one of the greatest gifts of immersion in art is liberation from the burden of expectations and demands from others and even the burdens of our own hopes, fears, and regrets. Here's the thing about art. You can't really do it wrong, right? You can't, you don't walk up to a five-year-old who drew something and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's wrong. The thing about art is art is simply a person's interpretation of life, and each of us have an authentic, unique interpretation to life that we are called to express. You know, good art isn't even, first and foremost, really about talent or skill. It's actually about honesty. And some of the best art that moves us in our world is not because it's technically done well. It's because it's an honest expression of the artist's interpretation of life, which means that we can all be good artists if we're willing to have the courage to be honest and authentic. See, art becomes a space that frees us from the expectations and demands of others. It becomes a space where we can be free to be ourselves. You know, it's very significant that after God created all of creation, what did he say? He said, it was good. Notice that he didn't say it was great. He could have said it was great because it probably, I mean, if you think about the complexities of creation and how everything works, it is really great and excellent. There's nothing like it, but I think it's very important and significant that he said it was good. Why? Because great is about execution and achievement and performance, but good is about inherent essence and beauty. You know, for most of us, being great is far more important than being good. You know, we read books like, you know, From Good to Great. We're talking about how can we become better and greater at everything that we do. But achieving and and performing are far more important to many of us than resting in the fact that we are already beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with great. We can all be great. Creation was great. It was magnificent. It was excellent. But I love that God first and foremost called it good. And what that means is something doesn't have to 
Something doesn't have to work to achieve its beauty and its essence. It just is. I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you created something free of the burdens of other people's expectations? When was the last time you created something not for its usefulness, but purely for its beauty? This is why art is important. This is what art allows us to tap into a space where we can be free, where we can be satisfied with good instead of exhaustively striving for great. There's this fantastic book by Makoto Fujimura. It's called Culture Care, and she talks about the importance of creativity and art in every organization, industry, and community. And this is what she says. Dana Gioo, who is a poet, has rightly said that we do not provide arts education to create more artists, though that is a byproduct. The real purpose of arts education is to create complete human beings capable of leading successful and productive lives in a free society. We provide arts education so that we can have better teachers, doctors, engineers, mothers, and fathers. Arts are not a luxury, but a path to educate the whole individual toward thriving. They are needed simply because a civilization cannot be a civilization without the arts. A great civilization is an art form of the highest order. In other words, creating art helps us tap into creative nature. It helps us bring creativity into our work, into our relationships, into our world. It reminds us that we are called to thrive beyond the norms of conformity. It, It calls us and pushes us and beckons us to be a child again and to wonder and to long to bring beauty into everything that we touch And so today, I'm really excited. I'm bummed that we only have a handful of people here because I feel like our church, especially those who work in tech, we need this. But we're going to today respond in a way where we're going to capture childlike wonder. Today, we're going to reclaim our identity as artists and tap into our creative nature. We're going to create a space where we don't need to be great, just honest and good. And some of you, you've been, it's been so long since you've entered into a space like that. And so for response today, you are going to be an artist, and we're going to create art together. And so under your seats, you could grab it right now, there is a blank canvas and a marker, and since there are so many empty seats today, you can actually grab other colored markers from other seats, and so for this next portion of service, you're going to draw whatever you want, whatever you want, and if you don't know where to start, I want you to prayerfully ask God, God, what do you want me to reflect on this canvas And hear me, church, it could be directly about God or not. It could be random flowers in this room or maybe the most beautiful person in this room that is Krista. It could be anything, okay? There's literally no right or wrong way to do this. And so JP and I are going to be singing a few worship songs. And as we're leading and singing, feel free to sing along, feel free to worship, feel free to pray, feel free to meditate, feel free to read scripture, feel free to spread out in the room, to stand, to move, whatever you need to do. But the goal as we're creating, I want you to treat this small activity that we used to do as children as an act of worship. And as we're drawing and we're creating, let it be a repentance of the way that we've diminished ourselves 
and our creator, a surrender to the creative nature of God inside of us. And so really, you know, I don't want this to be just like a fun act. I want you to experience the sacredness in just creating without any rules or restrictions. And so I'm going to, I'm actually going to lead us into this time by praying a poem that Erwin McManus wrote in his book, The Artist and Soul. And it's a poem that's called, Where the Echoes Stop. Whoa. And I think it's so cool that we have artisans and poets and writers who help us articulate and speak things that otherwise would be very difficult for us. And so I just want you to close your eyes before we enter into this activity. And I'm just going to pray this poem for us as we enter into a time of worship in creating. And let this be your prayer. I want to stand where the echoes stop, far past where sound has abandoned thought, where silence reigns over redundancy, where once well said is more than enough. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where words must be born to be heard, where speech is a gift and not a curse, where there is more of the unique and less of the mundane. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where meaning is rescued from noise, where conviction replaces thoughtless repetition, where what everyone is saying surrenders to what needs to be said. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where the shouting of the masses falls silent to the whisper of the one, where the voice of the majority submits to the voice of reason, where they do not exist, but we do. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where substance overthrows a superficial, where courage conquers compliance and conformity where words do not travel farther than the person who speaks them. I want to stand where the echoes stop, where I only say what I believe, where I only repeat what changes me, where empty words finally rest in peace. I want to stand where the echoes stop, be still, and know that I am God. Right now, I just want you to take a moment to keep your eyes closed. And listen to the music that JP is creating. Listen to the music that God is creating, the rhythm of the raindrops, even the the tiny footsteps of Fig walking throughout the room. I want you to pay attention to the noise of God's masterpiece in creation, the gift of music, the gift of rain, the gift of breathing and breath, the gift of one another, God, we thank you that when we come before you, the echoes stop. The noise of the world grows dim, and we can hear the voice of the one who calls us good. So today, we come before you good enough. We come before you as your children, and we come before you as creative beings who you have entrusted to bring beauty and goodness into our world. And so, God, we thank you for who you are. We sanctify this time of worship. Amen.